aristocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Sunday, May the 7th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, the attack on black, the Republican and right-wing attacks on black prosecutors throughout the United States, especially black female prosecutors. I'll be talking about that, plus the travesty of Allen, Texas. All of that coming up next. Dear listener, welcome to this edition of the Political Data Podcast. I do hope you're well on this Sunday. It is quite a day and it's been quite a weekend, hasn't it? Wherever you are in the world, I do hope that this podcast episode finds you well and okay and doing all right. It, again, has been quite a weekend here. We had Cinco de Mayo on Friday and yesterday we had another mass shooting here in the United States. Isn't that just perfect? We just find a way to continue to... Um, lose lives here unnecessarily, needlessly. It's just that is par for the course, dear listener. And it happened yesterday in Allen, Texas. I'm sure there were other mass shootings in the country, but there was one in Allen, Texas that took the lives of eight people. Eight people were killed. And I'm not going to just say it was a mass shooting that took the lives of. It was one gunman who took the lives of eight people. And Allen, Texas is in the northeastern part of Texas. Apparently at a mall yesterday afternoon, Saturday afternoon around 3.30, gunshots rang out. And what ended up happening in that mall was that eight people were killed by a gunman who was killed in turn by the police. And there was one police officer who, according to the published reports, happened to be in the vicinity, happened to be in the vicinity on a related, on an unrelated call, I should say, unrelated, and just heard the gunshots and went in the direction of the gunshots and encountered the gunman and, and killed him. Had that police officer not been there, who knows how many more people could have been killed? Who knows? Who knows? Eight people dead. And you have exactly one person to say thank you to for that. And that's Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, who in August of 2021 signed the bill, a House bill, HB 1927. Now, Texas House Bill 1927 allowed for the permitless carry, legal carry, of firearms in the state of Texas by people who were 21 years old, I believe it was, the exact date, the exact age. May have been the 18 even. I, I, again, the bottom line is, is that you have Greg Abbott to thank, the governor of Texas. You know, this is the guy that... After Uval, they said, well, you know, it could have been a whole lot worse than it was. And thankfully it wasn't. You know, it was only 21 children that got shot and two adults. You know, could have been a lot worse. Man, we could have had, 
Could have been a lot worse, man. We could have had 500 law enforcement people standing 100 feet from a uh, school classroom listening to the gunshots rather than the 100 that were there. Jesus Christ. Honestly, it's just absolute madness. The dumbing down in this country has gone on so long. The anti-intellectualism that flourishes in the United States, coupled, of course, with a crap, almost said the word, crappy education system, is, uh, come on, this is so blatantly obvious to you. I'm sure, dear listener, you must know this. Of course you know this. And just as insulting as Greg Abbott and as mendacious as he was the press conference that took place last night in Allen, Texas. Just so bizarre. I'm going to just you play you. Let me just play you the opening portion of this press conference. And I want you to listen carefully to it. And I'll explain right after this. Just hold on. I'll play you this clip right now. This is how the press conference began last night in Allen, Texas. Thank you also very much for coming. Uh, we have a, the, the press briefing here. Uh, I want to just, for our speakers, if you don't mind, for the media, just to say and state your name, spell your name, and your title. So I'm going to turn it over with our first speaker, our fire chief, Chief Boyd. My name is Jonathan Boyd. I'm the fire chief for the Allen Fire Department. Um, I'm going to speak to the medical part of our response. Uh, when we received the call, we activated our active attack integrated response. Our rescue task force teams found seven deceased individuals on scene. We transported nine individuals to the hospital to area trauma facilities. Of those that we transported, two have since died. Three are in critical surgery and four are stable. I'll now turn it over to Police Chief Harvey. total would be then nine. My name is Brian Harvey, uh, the chief of police in Allen, and we're all saddened by this event today, this tragic event today. At 3.36, our officer was at Allen Premium Outlets on an unrelated call. He heard gunshots, located the gunshot, located the shooter, neutralized the shooter, neutralized the threat. We believe at this point that the shooter acted alone. We are asking for the public's help. If you were a witness, if you have any video, please call 1-800-CALL-FBI. 1-800-CALL-FBI. This is an ongoing active investigation. Uh, we've had tremendous uh, local, county, and state and federal support, and we appreciate that. And I will turn it over to Congressman Keith Self. Thank you, Chief. First and foremost, we need to keep the families impacted by this tragedy in our prayers. We will never know how many lives were saved by the swift actions of our first responders. What we do know is that we owe a debt of gratitude to first responders that ran toward the gunfire and acted swiftly to neutralize the threat. That was a BS press conference. I just played you two minutes of it because the remaining seven minutes of it were absolutely a joke, as were those minutes you just heard. 
You don't start a press conference by putting the fire person on there, giving you medical information. That's not how these things go. You're supposed to first go with either the mayor or the police chief. That's customarily how these things happen. And I can tell you that that was absolutely deliberate by the officials in Allen, Texas, to put this fire chief person there talking about, well, let me just give you the medical reason, the medical perspective. Well, we airlifted seven to here. They're deceased. You know how casually he just drops that in there? Seven deceased. You know, like they're just they're, like they're not human beings. They're just seven what? What is it? Seven shoelaces? Seven cookies? I mean, this is how dispassionate these people are about life. They claim they care about life and they're pro-life. But listen to the way you heard it, the way they, he just dispassionately said, well, seven deceased. And, and then some reporter has to ask him again, well, how many are there? How many people are there killed? Well, we did seven plus two and that's nine, nine, nine people, nine deceased. It's like they don't care about human life. They don't care about your life. They're in Texas, these officials, these Republicans. God. And then they have the police, the police chief or the, the sheriff afterwards. The sheriff's supposed to be the first person up. Pathetic. Pathetic. These are Republican officials in Texas. Why am I not surprised? They don't even care. And then it's the after the person that I played there, who was the sheriff that you heard, then they gave the congressman from that area in Texas the microphone. And he starts to talk about, well, we have to keep these families in our prayers. I don't recall hearing that from the previous two speakers. And the remainder of that press conference, I'm not going to play it to you, was all about telling us how Allen is a safe city. It's a safe city here in Texas. It's safe. It's not safe. As long as you've got gun laws that are as lax as the ones in Texas, as long as you've got Texas House Bill 1927 on the book signed into law by the governor, no city in Texas or across the U.S. is safe. None of them are. None of them are. And as long as you've got states with strong gun laws, bordering states with weak gun laws, no state is safe. Because you can have people go from California, where the gun laws are amongst the very strongest in the country, in the top three, I think, in the country, and they can go to a neighboring state, perhaps Nevada, perhaps Arizona, and buy guns and get guns really easily and then bring them back into California. I mean, hello? I mean, the, the people, are, people have got to use their brains here. But that press conference last night was a joke. Oh, well, you know, our, our city is very safe here. By the way, let me tell you something about Allen, Texas. Allen, Texas is the same northeastern Texas town from which Patrick Crucius, the white, right-wing, racist terrorist, drove 17 hours across the state from east to west to the very westernmost part of the state to El Paso, Texas, to kill 
23 people at a mall in El Paso, mostly Mexican and Latino persons. That's what Patrick Crucius did. That's where he's from. He's from Allen, Texas, and he had assault rifles. He had all kinds of weapons on him. Don't tell me that Allen, Texas is a safe city when just four years ago, that piece of garbage, Patrick Crucius, drove from one end of the freaking state to the other with guns and ammo and shot and killed 23 people? Are you kidding me? But that's what this was about last night. That was a complete cover-your-ass press conference. I can't believe that for an event, a horrible event, an incident that happened at 3.30 local time there in, in Allen, Texas, that some... Seven hours later, because it was nearly 10 o'clock at night there when this press conference started. It was around 10 o'clock. It wasn't even a press conference. So-called press briefing. It didn't give any information at all, really. It just, and you just heard the way the, the, the police, uh, the chief there, the sheriff there, described everything. Well, shooter was there. We neutralized the threat. I mean, like, what, what is that? That's just bullcrap. The explanation, there's nothing in that. Oh, we neutralize the threat. There's an ongoing investigation. And then at the very end of the press conference, which again, I didn't play you. Someone says, well, we may have some more information for you tomorrow or this weekend or whenever. And we'll keep you updated. I mean, you didn't tell us anything in nine minutes. And that's by design. That's deliberate. And I bet you the gunman's white. Allen, Texas is, um, well... I think it's mostly white. I guarantee if this was some black gunman, you would have heard all the details. They would have had a picture of him already. They would have told you everything about him, about everything. And the fact that this person, after seven hours, you don't know who this is, and you shot and killed him, you told us that the, that he was the subject, the suspect was neutralized. I mean, you told us he's dead. You didn't give us his name. You didn't give us his age. You didn't give us anything about him. You know who he is. Identify him. Jeez. Eight people, eight people's families would like to know who the F this person was. The person was shot dead by police. Can you tell us who he was? Damn. Can you tell us, could you tell the families of the eight deceased persons who the hell killed their son or daughter or their uncle or aunt or brother or sister or mother or father? I mean, can you tell us? Can you tell them? Absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. That's Allen, Texas for you. That's the Republicans. Oh, yes, I'll be talking about them a lot more coming up in a few minutes' time. Here is how a press conference is done. I'm going to play you the first two and a half minutes of a press conference done. Guess where? You can guess where this press conference is done. And this is how press conferences, when you've had mass shootings happen and you've had people die, people killed in those mass shootings, you might want to have a press conference that sounds a little bit like this. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for being here. I am Sheriff Christina Corpus. 
I would like to start by offering my heartfelt condolences to the families of the victims, their coworkers, the coastal community, and the city of Half Moon Bay. This kind of shooting is horrific. It's a tragedy that we hear about far too often, but today it's hit home here in San Mateo County. Today at 2.22 p.m., Sheriff's deputies were dispatched to the 12700 block of San Mateo Road, Highway 92, in unincorporated San Mateo County on the report of a shooting with multiple victims. Upon arrival, deputies located four victims deceased with gunshot wounds. A fifth victim also suffering from a gunshot wound was transported to Stanford Medical Center with life-threatening injuries. The suspect was not immediately located. Shortly thereafter, three additional victims were also located deceased with gunshot wounds at a separate shooting scene in the 2100 block of Cabrillo Highway South. The motive for the shooting is currently unknown. Through investigation, the suspect identified as Chung Li Zhao, a 67-year-old Half Moon Bay resident. At 4.40 p.m., Zhao was located in his vehicle in the parking lot of the sheriff's substation here in Half Moon Bay by a sheriff's deputy. Zhao was taken into custody without incident and a semi-autic handgun was located in his vehicle. Zhao is believed to have acted alone and there is no further threat to this community. This is a devastating tragedy for this community and the families touched by this unspeakable act of violence. I would like to thank our local law enforcement agency partners, allied agencies, including CAL FIRE and EMS, the city of Half Moon Bay, and our federal and state partners. Now that's how you do a press briefing after people have been killed. There were eight people killed in Allen, Texas yesterday, and the press conference portion you just heard was from San Mateo, California. Why are we not surprised? That is how you do a press freaking briefing. You actually show empathy, real empathy toward those persons who lost their lives to their families and you give detail about what your investigation has come up with or what you know so far. You give out the name of the person who did this. I mean, again, this is a similar timeline. Literally, this is actually a less time, less timeline. This was less time from the actual events of the shooting than the one in Allen, Texas yesterday. This is back in January or February of this year, maybe February of this year where the San Mateo County Sheriff, whom you just heard from, gave you this briefing. I just played you a couple of minutes of it, and she outlines who the person was who did it, how they apprehended him, and also the amount of people who were killed. And also, what's going on with the investigation? This, these people in Allen, Texas, told you nothing yesterday, nothing last night. 
And I bet you the shooter was a white male. I'll bet you anything. Anything. And it does matter. It does matter. You know why it freaking matters? Because there's this narrative that black and brown men are so dangerous and violent. And we've been pumped with that ever since. We've been pumped with that for hundreds of years. Oh, it's black men. You must be afraid of us. Oh, my God. Be afraid. Be afraid. We've been pumped with this narrative forever in this country. And so many of us are freaking comfortable believing that racist garbage. So many of us have fallen for that and swallowed it and behaved with fear towards black men all the freaking time. You've swallowed that for years. It's been indoctrinated into your brain. This anti-black racist society has absolutely programmed you to think that black men always so always so dangerous oh my god oh my god yet worshiping at the same time while worshiping white male violence oh john wayne and dirty harry callahan clint eastwood guns 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 bang 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 but you're comfortable digesting that too and in ingesting that crap that racist garbage. Oh, yes. Uh, the white guy with the gun. Yeah. Woohoo. Cowboys and Indians. Oh, yeah, cowboy. You've been ingesting that forever in the United States. You've been brought up on it in a culture that tells you to worship white men with guns. Including white men who are cops. Who kill Black folk, shoot us down in the street. And by extension, you've been trained and successfully inhabiting this idea that if a black person who is hungry happens to steal something, therefore he should be killed, executed. That's what some of you think. Someone does listening to me right now. I'm sure they do. Maybe not you, dear listener, but I bet you there's someone who, if they listen to this, would absolutely nod yes in agreement. The inhumanity in this country, I keep telling you, that's as big a problem as anything else. And it was reflected in that press conference from Allen, Texas yesterday. Oh, well, the shooter was disengaged. The threat was neutralized. What the hell's that about? What the F is that? The threat. And then we're not told anything about these eight people. Maybe I get that. Yeah, maybe you don't want to give out the names and maybe the next of, kin, next of kin. But again, I want to contrast this with what you just heard from San Mateo, California in the sheriff's press conference there back in February of this year where seven people were killed. Seven people killed. And literally within a few hours of that, because as you may have heard the sheriff, she said around 2.30 that afternoon, this press conference took place around 7 o'clock, because I watched it live when it happened. It was around nearly 6.30, 7 o'clock. So within four and a half hours or so, four hours or four hours and change, we were able to get a press conference, we were able to get some detail. And you're telling me that an event that happened at 3.30 local time in Allen, Texas on Saturday, seven hours later, nearly seven hours later, you can't even give us the name of the freaking shooter? You can't even tell us anything? 
Oh, the investigation is ongoing. What, with all deliberate speed? That's nearly seven hours between the time this happened and the freaking so-called press briefing, which was a shambles. It was an absolute sham. And you can't give us one piece of freaking information like the shooter's name? Come on, man. The guy, And you know this guy's white. You know he is. I'll bet you, again, I'll say it again, I'll bet you anything. Anything. Again, almost a year ago, when Uvalde happened, the mass shooting in Uvalde in Texas, same state, same state, When 20 plus people were killed, 19 school kids and two adults were massacred. While a lot of those law enforcement people stood there and listened to it happen. And they had their guns, these so-called good guys with guns, right? Who stood outside 100 yards away from the absolute massacre and didn't ever intervene in it at all. Never shot anyone. No. No, just waited until he killed all these kids and then they shot him dead. Jesus Christ. Sick human beings. Evil. No humanity. We are becoming a kind... Well, we've always been that kind of country with no humanity. We are continuing to have no humanity and that's a virus that needs to stop spreading. It really needs to stop. And within an hour of what happened in Uvalde in May of 2022, it's literally around May 25th, I think, or May 24th of 2022. So we're just a few weeks, a couple of weeks short of the one-year mark. One-year mark almost. We're a couple of weeks short of that. And within an hour of that heinous event happening, where all these people were killed by this gunman. Within an hour of that, the whole world knew that the shooter was Latino. We knew his name. We knew his age. I think there were pictures of him as, pictures of him as well. He had been killed, but we knew his name within a freaking hour of that news coming through. Within a freaking hour. God, come on. Oh, but he's Latino, so we can put his name out there. But... This gunman, oh, it's all hush-hush now. Well, we're still conducting an investigation. I mean, whenever it's a white killer, there's always this delay to release the name. Case in point, I'll take you back to New York, right? The choking death of a homeless black man named Jordan Neely that happened. I don't know when it happened. That happened either a few days ago or a week ago, maybe a few days ago, maybe earlier this week, right? Whenever it happened, earlier last week, because it's Sunday now. So sometime last in the last week, that happened in New York City. You didn't get the guy's name for at least three or four days, if not longer. Only finally, I think yesterday, did this guy's name become publicly available white guy, right? I think his name is Danny Penny or something like that. How come it takes nearly a week to get his name? He's murdered somebody. Oh, and I don't want to give his name. Oh. I mean, the guy's face is everywhere. Guy's face is everywhere. Right? Why, why is it 
Why is it that there's a whole freaking delay around getting his name? I mean, really. Uh, come on, man. We all know what the story is here. We're not stupid. Daniel Perry is his name. Penny, pardon me. Let me say his name again properly. Daniel Penny. That's the white guy who's a Marine or a military person who killed this black homeless person in a subway car. I could kill someone in the middle of a subway car and still not lose any votes. Yeah, but we don't find out his name for days. Days. Whenever a white person, particularly a white male, is accused of or who has actually killed someone, particularly if they've killed someone black, we don't get to get their name for weeks sometimes, days sometimes. Depends on who it is. And there have been exceptions to that. But I'm telling you, same thing, case in point. Remember when Michael Brown was killed by a police officer, a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, back in 2013 or 2014? 2014, remember that? When he was killed? And it took days and days and days before the Ferguson police chief released the name of this person who killed, this killer who killed Michael Brown, remember? And we found out at a press conference, and we were on the news media was asking for the name. And, you know, we were getting the details. Okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. And then, then he was getting ready to walk away. And as he was walking away, the media shouted out, okay, what's his name? What's his name? And then the police chief at the time said, and his name is, and he's flicking some paper around. His name was Darren Wilson. And he just walked off. These people do not want you to know when white men commit these violent acts. They don't want you to know the names of these people. And we didn't get a mugshot about of him forever because he never was indicted. But I think he had it. There was some shot. We didn't get any kind of photo of this guy for days and days and days. It's like, it's so obvious what's going on here. And I guess, dear listener, you may be somebody who thinks I just, I'm just sitting here ranting and raving. I, I'm really doing more than that, though. You know? Trying to educate people out here. Oh, so sue me, you know? This is what's going on. The sheriff in San Mateo had no problem telling you who committed the crime, an Asian man. Killing those seven people that he killed in San Mateo County, California, which is about 45 miles south of here. Why? Why are you trying to not release the name of this gunman in Allen, Texas? And I know the trolls will come out and I've already had to block some of them. Oh, well, it doesn't. Does it really matter what they need? Actually, it freaking well does. You don't ask that question when black men are being demonized or black women are being demonized or black, you know, kids are being demonized. You don't say, well, why are you doing that? What does it matter what their race is? I don't hear these people doing that. But when a white gunman 
or someone white in general is committing a crime. And there are people like yours truly and perhaps you, dear listener, who raise critical questions about, okay, who did this? Where's the mugshot? We want to see know what happened. We want information. And then we want to know who this damn person was. Because obviously he's, he's been killed, so you should be able to release his name. Even more reason that you release his name. Oh, all of a sudden, there's all this pushback. Oh, well, what does it matter? It damn well matters. Preston Hemphill, a white cop in Memphis, who was part of the group. Now, he didn't beat Tyree Nichols to death, but he definitely had a hand in, you know, he was very hostile towards him earlier on in the during the time that Mr. Nichols was killed prior to that time, that same night, all the charges were dropped. He wasn't charged as Preston Hemphill. Wasn't charged at all with any crime in terms of the beating death of Tyree Nichols. But he should have been charged with something in terms of menacing him. But the five black cops, oh yes, they're charged. As they should be. As they should be. Right? But this is the racism and the anti-black racism and the double standard in this country. If you're a black shooter or a white or a brown shooter, you're going to get your name splashed out there. And I'm not saying that your name shouldn't be put out there. All I'm saying is do the same thing to white people who commit these violent crimes that you do for black and brown people when they are accused of or actually have committed these crimes. That's what I'm saying. Stop trying to exalt a white person's criminal behavior by minimizing it or hiding their names. I'm counting down to when I'm going to finally hear the name and uh, the name of this freaking killer for in te- Allen, Texas. I'm counting down. I'm waiting for it. Is it going to be today, tomorrow, next week? When is it going to be that we're going to finally get the name of this person? And when are we going to get to see a mugshot of him? Well, we're not going to get to see any mugshot of him. He's dead. But are we going to get these pictures of him? And are they going to be these nice angelic photos of him in a yearbook? I mean, that's what we're probably going to get, right? Because that's another thing I keep talking about here on the Political Daily Podcast. Whenever you have, in almost all these cases, a white person on trial or accused of killing someone black or accused of committing any kind of killing of any kind of person, there's always this smiley face of this person. Oh, the smiley face. And then when a black person is murdered, there's this horrible grainy image of the victim who was shot dead, the black person, as if they're the criminal. You know, it's disgusting how this country behaves toward black people. Disgusting. This country never has had its bearings since it was stolen from the Native Americans. It's never had its bearings. And that's deliberate. Deliberate. What happened in Allen, Texas was an atrocity. And then the press conference added further insult to the injuries to those eight families. And look no further than Texas House Bill 1927 that allows this open, permitless carry of firearms in Texas. What could possibly go wrong? 
The following audio contains graphic descriptions. Some listeners may find these descriptions to be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. To some of the victims, walk us through that. Yeah, Nicole, we are hearing tonight from the first time from someone who desperately rushed to the aid of those dying and wounded. Victims who he says had such horrific injuries, they had to be loaded into police cars because ambulances simply wouldn't have gotten there soon enough. Do you think anybody was saved by your actions? I don't know, I lost three people, JD, that there was nothing I could do for. And um, that's, that's tough. Stephen Spainauer raced to the Allen Outlet Shopping Center when his son Freddie called just after 3.30 to say there had been shots fired outside the H&M store where he worked. When I heard those shots and then when the multiple shots happened, my heart just immediately just dropped. And I was on the phone with 911 and I was telling them, we have a mass casualty incident. Spainauer says he got there before any first responders. And while a handful of people around him recorded videos of the bodies on the ground, he tried to save lives. I never imagined in 100 years I would be thrust into the position of being the first first responder on the site to take care of people. Spainauer says despite applying CPR, at least three of the victims could not be saved. The first girl I walked up to was crouched down, covering her head in the bushes. So I felt for a pulse, pulled her head to the side, and she had no face. But Spainauer says he found a child that survived while covered by his protective mother who died. And so when I rolled the mother over, he came out and I asked him, are you okay? And he said, you know, my mom is hurt, my mom's hurt. So rather than traumatize him anymore, I put him around the corner, set him down. He was covered from head to toe like somebody had poured blood on him. It's that awful image that Spainauer and others who witnessed the horror will be haunted by for the rest of their lives. No one can see what they saw today and not be affected by it. It's not a situation that I would wish upon anybody, J.D. It's just unfathomable to see the carnage. It's tough when you see a family that's out shopping, having fun, get wiped off the face of the earth because somebody with a gun has some other type of issue. And Spain, our son says that two other people who were customers inside that H&M store were also wounded. Spain, our says that he personally saw at least seven people who were wounded or were killed. Nicole and Steve, back to you. J.D., we just actually did a story not too long ago about people knowing how to do CPR. So when you hear someone who was in that moment and ready to help, it really just makes your heart fall out. But I have a question. Anybody there um, mm -hmm. who you talk to who say they were feeling like they were having a hard time getting a response for police and from police yeah. and fire officials, what exactly mm -hmm. are they telling you about that tonight? Mm -hmm. Well, Stephen Spainauer, who was obviously the first person on the scene as a uh, first aid emergency responder, a civilian, he says it took him about six minutes to get there after his son called. Then he says it took another five or six minutes for uh, emergency crews to get there. So that was more than 10 minutes. Um, we certainly don't know exactly how long it took or we'll hopefully get that information. But they feel like it took uh, quite a bit of time before they saw any paramedics on the scene there and that's why police obviously had to uh, load those patients into police cars. JD, thank you so much for the update tonight. That was audio from CBS News Texas from last night regarding Allen, Texas. The reporter there was JD Miles. 
And you heard the anchor as well earlier on. And her name's Nicole, I forget her last name. Um, there you go. You know, that was graphic. And I did play you the advisory before I played the audio. And that's more in that eyewitness. And some people always, you know, people will poo-poo eyewitnesses and all the rest of it. But that person told you much more about what was going on in that scene in that two-minute clip, three-minute clip, than the nine-and-a-half-minute useless press briefing that occurred last night in Allen, Texas. That the person you just heard from was actively trying to save lives. And he told you some very graphic and disturbing things about the scene and about what he saw, what he encountered. I want to know when this shooter's name is going to be put out in the public domain. That's what I want to know. I want to know that. It's obviously not going to bring back those eight people that he killed. Obviously not. I want to know who this freaking shooter was. I want to know. And I want to know if he was white, black, whomever. But I want to know if he happens to have been a white person. If that's who this was. Did this person have ties to some kind of group? What happened? I don't know. I don't want to continue to speculate, so I'll stop now. But whoever the shooter is, can you tell us? The guy is clearly deceased. He's been shot dead. Can you tell us his freaking name? Can you show us the, this guy's face? Who he was? I, as, I mean, can you... So it's just, again, I've already made my point. I've made my point. I centered what did it mean to be the first black woman elected state's attorney, to be the first black person elected to the state's attorney's office in a criminal justice system that saw 77% of the people in our jails black. That saw the overwhelming number of people who are the victims of violent crime black to see a system where we were overrepresented, but when I was an assistant state's attorney, I was one of a few. The policies that somehow feel disturbing were rooted in people who had never had access to power. And so for me, that's where we begin. That was state's attorney for Cook County, Kim Fox, last month during a 40-minute speech, during which she also announced that she would not be seeking re-election to office after 2024, really after this year, because the election would be next year. She announced that she would be stepping down from her position at the end of her term, which ends at the end of 2024. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, look, the bottom line here is, is that this is the section of this podcast, dear listener, this episode where I concentrate on the main topic. Now, I know I spent quite a bit of time talking about Allen, Texas and the shooting there. And I want to reiterate my condolences to the families who lost uh, of those eight people whose lives were taken by this piece of garbage, who is also gone, by the way. Um, and I do... Um, express my deepest condolences to those families. We just see this every day in this country. But I used, I did this for a real reason. I, this, there's no accident. Look, this show may, this, this podcast may be, uh, may be unscripted, but 
Believe me, in some ways, these are really good things that come together. The way that these segments run on here, because what I'm trying to say here in the spirit of being unscripted is that these things are related. I mean, freak, everything's related pretty much, right? In this world, in life, everything's related. Almost everything, right? The whole story that went on in Allen, Texas, the murder, these, these killings of people yesterday is certainly related to the subject I'm going to talk about next, which is the attack on black, the attack on black prosecutors, the attack particularly on black female prosecutors throughout this country called the U.S. of A. You just heard the audio there of Kim Fox, who I've just told you announced last month during that audio, not that particular clip, but during that speech and that audio, she goes on to announce that she is not seeking re-election as state's attorney in Cook County, which is in Illinois. Kim Fox is a black woman. Kim Fox is a prosecutor. Kim Fox has been vilified by all kinds of people across Cook County, including in, you guessed it, Chicago. The kinds of things that she has endured, the kinds of horrible, heinous things that have been threatened to her, the death threats, the misogynistic things she faces, the misogynoirist things she faces, the openly racist things that she faces, all of this, I can talk to you about another district attorney, Monique Rowell of Florida, W-O-R-R-E-L-L. Monique Worrell, under attack from the fascist governor of Florida, Ron DeFascist. I can talk to you about Marilyn Mosby, the Baltimore City District Attorney, under attack by people in Maryland, under attack, investigated now. She dared to prosecute police officers in the killing of Freddie Gray. And for that, she has been hounded. She has been attacked. She is now um, being sued or something like that. Oh, she spent this money, some expenses on some place in Florida or some boat or some of this or some property. They're just trying to, they're going after her. Fawny Wells, Fawny Wells, I should pronounce her name properly. Fawny Wells, F-A-N-I. Fawny Wells, the uh, Fulton County District Attorney down there in Georgia. Fulton County includes at the city of Atlanta, where you know by now Dion Patterson um, allegedly, allegedly killed one person and wounded at least four others. Fani Wells under attack. She's preparing indictments of the piece of garbage who's been twice impeached and also once indicted. She's preparing an indictment against him and numerous other people. That's coming sometime this summer. I don't know why she's waiting, but obviously she's probably building and cementing her case 
against other people to get more information. And then I think that's probably why. It's not because she's afraid to announce this. It's an open secret that he's going to be indicted. You, you do know that, dear listener. Aramis Ayala in Florida, another state's attorney who was under attack. Black woman, all these women I'm talking to you about, all these prosecutors are black women. Tish James, the New York State Attorney General, under attack from these Republican right-wingers, these racists. And then there's this person. Building a better Bay Area. Moving forward, finding solutions. This is ABC 7 News. Her election in November was historic. Pamela Price, the first black woman to be voted in as Alameda County District Attorney. But by her own admission, she has faced backlash since taking office. Today, a rally was held in defense of the DA. Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Dion Lim. You're watching ABC 7 News at 11. Today, supporters organized a rally in Oakland to give D.A. Price a chance to lay out her vision for the future of the district attorney's office. ABC 7 News reporter Ansar Hassan was there. Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price was introduced to cheers, and then she broke into song. I'm gonna let nobody turn me around. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, walking up the Freedom Road. Organizers rallied Price supporters on the steps of the Alameda County Courthouse in Oakland to counter what they see as backlash against the newly elected DA. That's what it is. It's the Price outlined some of her accomplishments, which include prioritizing victim services, hiring more lawyers and investigators, establishing new guidelines and procedures for charging and sentencing, and launching new programs around restorative justice, policies which she campaigned on. We launched a pilot program in collaboration with the court for transitional youth ages 18 to 25 who got caught with a gun for the first time to divert them from the criminal legal system and pay supporters criticize some early recall efforts and strongly refute claims that Price has been soft on crime. It seems before, it's just the, the, the DAs, uh, the deputy DAs had, what, they could throw whatever enhancements they wanted. We have over, over criminalized young people. We have over criminalized people of color. And she's coming in and saying, no, we're going to reform this. And people don't like it. If anybody take a life, they need all the enhancements they can get. They need to be in jail for life with no parole. A group of about a dozen people held a rally before and then during the Price rally. They argue that Price hasn't been transparent in some cases, such as with Jasper Wu, a child who was killed by stray bullets on I-880 during what police say was a gun battle between rival gangs. They're also concerned about Price's sentencing policies. Like I said, transparency with these cases where we could understand then I think that would really help the community. This system was not broken in a day. It will not be fixed in a hundred days. It's just not possible. Price says she inherited an organization that was in chaos. She criticized the media for allegedly not being as critical of her predecessor, Nancy O'Malley. She ended by reminding the crowd that she won on a platform for change, which she intends to deliver. Change takes time. 
and courage and telling the truth. In Oakland, Hunter Hassan, ABC 7 News. That was a news report from April of 2023 on the district attorney for Alameda County in California, Pamela Price. Pamela Price was duly elected as the DA of Alameda County. Alameda County has such cities in it as Oakland and numerous other cities. And Oakland is, what, 13 and a half miles east of San Francisco. Pamela Price is a black woman. And as you heard in that report, all of these attacks on her, demonizing her, and what she and all of the other names of the prosecutors I read out want to do is change the way that prosecuting's done. That's what they want to do. You know, all these call resign, resign. A lot of this stuff is all about politics. It's all about politics. It's also about racism and anti-black racism. And all of this, oh, well, these prosecutors, they don't, they're not tough on crime. And when you're tough on crime, you're not solving any crime. What you're doing is being punitive. That's what you're being. And you're penalizing people for offenses that do not warrant 20 and 30 year sentences. And what I'm talking about specifically are drug possession cases. There used to be lots of cases in the state of California, right here, right here, where people were going to prison for 25 years, 30 years, three strikes, you're outlaw. That's what was going on in this state. And people were going to prison for all kinds of obscene amounts of years, disproportionate to the crimes that they were committing. None of these were violent crimes. They were victimless crimes. And people were being thrown behind bars here in California for drug possession. They're spending 20 years in prison for that. Drug possession. Not for murder, for drug possession. And these prosecutors, like Pamela Price here in California, are trying to change the way that that's done. We think and we believe that you shouldn't be throwing people behind bars for 20, 25 years for drug possession. That is a waste of resources. And that doesn't serve any rehabilitative purpose. None. None. And these prosecutors, whether it be Monique Rowell, Kim Fox, Marilyn Mosby, Fonnie Wells, Pamela Price, Aramis Ayala, or any of the others, and I'll name some more in a few moments, what they're trying to do is change the way that prosecuting's done when it comes to these low-level offenses. Nobody's saying, listen, None of these prosecutors is refusing to prosecute murder. Where the evidence is, if there's a winnable case there, yeah, they're prosecuting them. But you see, that's the big canard, the big lie that is told to you in the corporate news media. Even the report you just heard from ABC News here in San Francisco, the audio you just heard, does not fully sketch out what's going on. You have a couple of barking people upset that Kim uh, Kim Fox, that... Pamela Price has not been transparent about this, that, or the other. I mean, it's, there's nothing. They're not attacking her for what her job is in terms of how she's dealing with things. It's all this ministerial, superficial stuff. Well, 
They should be going to prison. And no one in that broadcast that you just heard, that report fully explains to you what the story is, what the dimensions of this case was that she supposedly hasn't done anything about. It's all scattershot, no information really. You just hear a couple of angry talking heads, but you don't get the picture of why Pamela Price may or may not have done something with this case. Jasper Wu, Jasper Wu, the child, the da 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 da. But do you, did you ask Pamela Price about that case? You obviously heard her on the audio there. Did these media people ask her about the Jasper Wu case? Maybe they did, but she said something to them that didn't fit the narrative for them, so they didn't put that on the air. The media, by the way, surprise, surprise, is a huge part of this problem. Not explaining to the viewer or the reader, why it is that a prosecutor makes a decision or chooses not to. And that's all deliberate. You better believe it is deliberate. It's all deliberately done by the news media. That is not an accident. But this segment and this episode really is about this attack on black prosecutors, especially black female prosecutors. And Kim Fox, who you heard from in the audio that I played a little bit earlier than the audio you just heard, was one of the people who spearheaded this movement, among other prosecutors, to really change how people prosecute. Because it's not working. What people who prosecute up and down this country for many decades have done is tailored to keeping a system of mass incarceration going. It's a money racket. That's what this is about as well. And the people who are prosecuting in these areas, they're not getting attacked. People who are so-called tough on crime, which is just bullcrap. When you're supposedly tough on crime, you are actually perpetuating crime. You are continuing crime. Because locking people up, who actually might need some mental health assistance, locking people up, who actually might need to do some rehabilitative work, locking people up, who might be better suited to rehabilitation by other means, and might actually be saving money in doing that, is not something that is efficient and does not solve crime. It actually encourages more crime. And it maintains a system of this spinning wheel, revolving door of people coming into prison, doing time, leaving, committing crime and coming back again. The recidivism rate. That's what that is, recidivism. Recidivism is when you commit a crime, you're in prison, you do the time, you go out and then you commit another crime again while you're out and then you're back in the system again. That's what recidivism is. And that's the so-called tough on crime. Tough on crime means institutionalizing crime penalties, meaning putting people behind bars, throwing away the key, and really not producing and learning anything. Giving people all these unduly harsh sentences for drug possession, for marijuana use. And black people are five times more likely to be sentenced far more severely than a white person is. And both groups use the drug at about the same rate, about the same rate. And the more likely person to receive any kind of jail time at all is a black person.
for using, I mean, it's just insanity. It's the racism of it all. It's the anti-black racism. And so you've got prosecutors, because I want to give you some proper context. You've got prosecutors like Monique Rowell, like Kim Fox, Marilyn Mosby, Fannie Wells, Pamela Price, Aramis Ayala, who has since left her position, and other prosecutors who want to change this. And so they're getting blasted by Republicans and these fascists going, oh, no, you can't you can't do this. We're going to start passing laws to take your power away. And that's what's going on all across this country, all across the country. Georgia's doing it. Florida's doing it. In fact, Florida removed the governor, the fascist governor there, removed a white progressive prosecutor from his position as a DA in Tampa, I believe it was. Andrew Warren, last August, was removed by Governor Fascist in Florida. And Andrew Warren said, look, if I get elected and I'm elected now, I am not going to be prosecuting people who drive people to abortions, drive people to abortion clinics, who drive. I'm not going to prosecute people who have a I'm not going to prosecute people who have an abortion. That's not something that is an effective use of my prosecutorial time. I'm not going to be doing that to women in this state. And Ron DeFascist had a conniption. That means war, the fascist said. And then he goes and suspends the prosecutor. Now, Andrew Warren has gone up to the district court in Florida, I believe it is, the circuit court, the district court, trying to get reinstated. And he's been trying for a good few months now. So far, it hasn't happened. This is very dangerous stuff. You saw what happened here in San Francisco last year, where there was a right-wing recall of Chesa Boudin, who, as a white progressive prosecutor, was doing the kinds of things that some of these black, these black prosecutors I just mentioned have been doing. Changing the way that crimes are prosecuted. He wasn't failing to prosecute murders. That's just a bunch of lies. And the right wing and these corporate news media types would have you believe that Chesa Boudin here in San Francisco, when he was the district attorney here, when he was, that he was not prosecuting violent crime. He was. What he had an issue with was People being prosecuted for quality of life crimes, i.e. public urination. That's something that he felt that was not a good use of prosecutorial resources. And the resources for prosecutors across this country have been stretched awfully thin as it is. As it is. Look, some people are offended by... Those who would urinate on the street, I don't like it either. It ain't a good look. I know that. You know that. But do we have to throw the person in jail? Really? Really? You think that's a really good use of prosecutorial resources when you've got crime to deal with? When you've got real crime to deal with? Domestic violence issues to deal with? Other violent issues to deal with? that are going on in the city where you are, whether it's San Francisco or wherever you are in the world, you think that a good use of prosecutorial resources is to spend money and invest time in trying to prosecute and put behind bars someone who is a public urinator? 
who you saw who couldn't hold it and had to go? Really? That's the best use of your time? See, the people who believe that that is a good use of their time are the people who want to see certain groups of people, whether they're poor, whether they're homeless, whether they are of a certain look, would love to see them eradicated from the society. Tough on crime is actually weak on crime. This whole puff out your chest, tough on crime garbage is a posture and it's absolute fiction because it's really not tough on crime at all because what happens, as I said this earlier, what happens with these things is, is that the recidivism rate gets higher and higher because you're not doing anything to change the person's behaviors in terms of once they're institutionalized, what kinds of things are you doing to counsel them and have them behave differently? You're just throwing them into a prison. And their attitudes are only going to harden. And then they're going to get out of prison and they're going to go out there and commit some more crime. That's what they're going to do. But if there there are programs, if there are programs and departments that can deal with persons who commit crimes that are non-violent crimes and commit them and deal with and put them in a different position... Maybe there's something good that can come out of that because, hey, you might re-educate them and change their minds about things. And so that's what these prosecutors are doing, offering services to help these people. They're not evil. Surely, of course, someone who uses marijuana is not an evil person. They're not evil. Someone who might even be selling drugs, while I think they're awful in doing that, They're not evil people. They're trying to make money because this country, this system wants to demonize them and doesn't want to solve the issue of poverty, which it could really solve in about five and a half minutes or maybe five and a half seconds if they really wanted to, if it really wanted to. So, of course, this is what happens. But I guarantee you, Going and prosecuting people who are out there using drugs is not a very good use of prosecution time. It really isn't. It really isn't. And you've got these right-wingers and these people in the media who try to oversimplify things and who lie about what is going on in these prosecutors' offices. Oh, there's high turnover. Oh, my God. Well, damn it. Every freaking office... In, in the DA's offices across the country have a lot of turnover in their office. That's nothing to do with the person who is at the top of the office. Go ask HR what those things are about. It's nothing to do with the person. She's too busy prosecuting crime. Kim Fox. I, I don't know. You know, Kim Gardner is another prosecutor. I didn't even mention, I don't think. Kim Gardner, another black woman. St. Louis Circuit County Prosecutor. She announced just a few days ago, back on Thursday of last week, just a few days ago now, she announced that she's resigning effective at the beginning of next month, June 1st. June 1st. I'm going to get to Kim Gardner in a bit more detail in a few moments after the break I'm going to take in a moment. But what I'm saying here, dear listener, is that this is an all-out attack on black prosecutors, especially black female prosecutors, all of whom 
are trying to recalibrate the system from within. Now, look, I've told you many times personally, dear listener, I don't think that you can really, quote unquote, reform a system. You have to dismantle it and get rid of it completely. That's my view. But I do think and I do subscribe to the inside-outside strategy. And there are people who disagree with me and say, well, there's the only strategy you can attain is an outside strategy. No, I think you can do both. It's both and. You can have people on the inside, like a Kim Fox, like a Marilyn Mosby, like a Fannie Wells, like a Pamela Price, right? Like a Aramis Ayala, like a Kim Gardner, like a Monique Worrell, who are trying to change things from the inside as prosecutors. They were all duly elected, duly elected. And now you've got these Republicans, these right-wingers, these fascists out here trying to and they're not trying, they're actually doing it, passing laws that are stripping these local prosecutors who were duly elected of their power so that now you'll have some white official in state government in the attorney general's office, perhaps, now making decisions about what the prosecutor that you voted in can do or can't do. That's fascism. That's dictatorship. That's, auto, that's autocracy. This is what's going on in Florida. Andrew Warren says he doesn't want to prosecute people who um, allow help women have abortions. Now, all of a sudden, Governor DeFascist doesn't like it. Oh, you know, yeah, well, you know, you, you're, you're suspended. I'm suspending you. He was voted in, duly elected to his position. By the people. And now Ron DeFascist is now trampling on the will of the people in his state, not for the first time, and suspending a prosecutor. If anybody's going to do any suspending of Andrew Warren, it would have to be the constituents who have been voting him in the last two times. Twice, I believe, he's been elected to that position. Obviously, they like him. And when they're ready to vote him out, if they're ready to vote him out, that's what they will do. But they do not need a freaking governor, a fascist governor, no less, to be doing that for them. And this is why I couldn't stand what happened to Chesa Boudin here in San Francisco when he was recalled last June. I said, I did the episode on this podcast about this. It was an absolute fail to do something like this. It was really disgraceful. Because I knew that whoever's coming in after him would be the complete opposite. This recalling campaign, recall Boudin, was all about these right-wingers and some of these corporate Democrats and these conservative Democrats banding together with these right-wingers to remove someone who was trying, like Marilyn Mosby and Kim Fox and all the other prosecutors I've just mentioned, the black female prosecutors, trying to change the way that prosecuting is done. And you see all the people attacking Marilyn Mosby and Kim Gardner and, and Kim Fox and all the other mentions that I have mentioned here, all the other prosecutors I've mentioned, they want to keep this system in place. 
And any black prosecutor, particularly, and some white ones, as I've illustrated, any of these prosecutors who want to do their, want to do their idea of prosecuting that absolutely is something that's much more equitable and much more of a system that's based on looking at the crimes and saying, which one should I really prosecute, the murder or the freaking urination? And saying, well, I'll leave the urination to the side and I'll freaking well prosecute these murders, thank you very much. I think that's more important. But when you have these Republican attacks, say, oh, well, then they're weak on crime. It's not that these prosecutors are weak on crime. They're not weak on crime. They're not weak on crime. They're actually trying to change the way this system is being run. But you see, the police unions, the most powerful police union, the most powerful union in the country, basically, they want everyone to be all militaristic and big and bad and tough on crime. Being tough on crime does not reduce crime, as I said earlier. It does, just does not do that. Kim Gardner is going to be resigning in June, June 1st. Kim Fox announced last month, as I've just played you the audio earlier, that she is not seeking re-election in 2024 to the state's attorney's office there in Cook County, Illinois. Fannie Wells is going to be indicting that piece of garbage in uh, a couple of months' time or whenever it's going to be. Pamela Price here in, well, Oakland's not here. Oakland's 13 miles from here. Pamela Price is being attacked now. This is all obvious. These are all attacks on black women, black prosecutors. Even when it comes to black men, same thing. You're getting these attacks on Alvin Bragg, who indicted that piece of garbage last month, right? And the House of Representatives, the Republican-led House, Jim Jordan, who should be prosecuted right there on the spot, because my God, who, who, who really should be prosecuted more than him? I can't think of too many. Holding a hearing in New York, oh, Alvin Bragg, the crime's gone up. And crime has not gone up in New York. Violent crime in New York has gone down. But, you know, again, just keep lying because someone out there will believe you. The attack on George Gascon in Los Angeles, they tried to recall him twice. He used to be the district attorney up here in San Francisco. And George Gascon was of the mind, no, I'm not going to prosecute people for, for all these petty offenses that don't take someone's life away. I'm not going to be prosecuting people who, um, you know, are doing things that do not injure anybody personally. And then there's this right-wing effort in Los Angeles to try to recall them. And they tried twice and failed twice. And you know what else about George Gascon that you should know in terms of this uh, whole recall mess? There were these signatures of people on this recall petition to recall the district attorney down in San Francisco, down in uh, L.A. Do you know that hundreds of signatures were actually of dead people? This is how dirty these Republicans are, these right wingers. Hundreds of dead people's signatures were found in this recall petition to get rid of George Gascon from the L.A. District Attorney's Office. L.A. Times did a story about this titled 
Signatures of hundreds of dead people were found in D.A. Gascon recall petition. Salvador, Salvador Hernandez, March 23, 2023. He wrote the story. I'll read the first paragraph of it, or two. More than, 300 more than 300 signatures in a petition to recall Los Angeles County DA George Gascon last year belonged to dead people, according to the county's registrar recorder, County Clerk's Office. Now the agency has called on the California Attorney General to investigate the possibility of fraud in the failed attempt to recall Gascon, whose reform-minded policies have become a target of Republican and conservative critics. And this is the entity of people who are driving all this stuff, all these anti-progressive prosecutorial attacks. Oh, they're, they're not running their cities correctly. We have to do it for them. I mean, it's an excuse to be fascists. And they're, being, and they're showing you who they are. Fake signatures, signatures of dead people, for God's sakes. This is how these dirty Republicans are. These people are breaking the law, violating the law, and then they're telling you that the prosecutor that they want to get rid of in a fascist way, and not with the voters allowing them to do it, they're telling you that they're not running their offices right. Well, I think that these fascists are doing things that are very injurious. Obviously, they are. They're fascists. That should be enough for us. Should be enough. These people are breaking all kinds of laws. Doing it right in front of you. And then turning around and pointing at Kim Fox. And threatening her life. And threatening the life of Kim Gardner. All these other black women who are prosecuted. Threatening their lives. But if you're Brooke Jenkins. A black woman who's also the DA here in San Francisco. You're not facing any recall. Because you... Brooke Jenkins, are a system placeholder. A placeholder for the system. Because you ran on that mantra, tough on crime. Arr. And how's that working out for you? There's still shootings in San Francisco. There's still shootings in this city. There's still attacks on homeless people in the city. There was a homeless person shot to death just last week or the week before. I've talked about him, Banco Brown. Would you indict him? Is that what you call tough on crime, Brooke Jenkins? Not indicting the killer, rather, of Banco Brown? Wouldn't you indict that killer, that Walgreens security guard? You're not going to indict him? And you call yourself tough on crime? <laughs> Give me a break. Give me a break. Brooke Jenkins is only tough when she wants to be tough. And that means being tough on people who look like her. Black people. That's who she's tough on. And that's what some of the white electorate in San Francisco love. That's what some of the richer white people in San Francisco love. The attack on black and the allowance of anyone black to be a willing participant in that attack on black. And Brooke Jenkins, in my estimation, is one of those kinds of black people. I remember all these efforts here in San Francisco to get rid of Chesa Boudin. 
a white progressive. And you had all these media stories, oh, Chesapeake Dean's this and Chesapeake. And this went on and on, the San Francisco Chronicle, hammering him, hammering him. They were getting everybody in this city to believe that he's the worst thing since sliced bread. He's got to go. Got to go. Absolutely insane. Then they get rid of him and they bring in Brooke freaking Jenkins, who was a DA under his tutelage. And for all we know, she could have been part of some freaking right wing campaign. Oh, yeah. Join his office and heck, turn against him and we'll fund you and make you the new DA. I don't know. It's a complete speculation. Not even a theory. It's a spe- It's just an opinion. I don't know if it's true or not. But she is dubious. I would not trust her at all. I've said this before. That is the black person who is acceptable to these right-wingers and these corporate Democrats and these venture capitalists. That is the person they love. Someone who will beat down black people and tell the world that they're proud of doing it. That's who Brooke Jenkins is. That's my view of her. I do not trust her. Any prosecutor that claims to be tough on crime and doesn't indict someone who shot an unarmed person that's not somebody who's tough on crime. That's somebody who is telling the white electorate and the rich elites, white elites, that don't worry I'm tough on crime because, hey, another black person was shot dead in San Francisco. And heck, there's less than 5% of us left here anyway as black folk. So I'm being tough on crime because, you know what? I just showed you how tough I was. That's the toughness on crime because I view these black people as criminals. And so they deserve to be shot dead. And that's the subliminal message that you can glean from Brooke Jenkins' refusal to press charges against a black security guard who shot a black person dead. Unprovoked. Unprovoked. When I come back, dear listener, I want to fill you in on a couple of things. I really want to expand this a bit more because you really need to understand that there's lots of laws that are being pushed by state legislatures controlled by Republicans all across this country that are looking to strip power from prosecutors in the local city and town that you live in. Prosecutors that you may have voted for. And these Republicans are looking to strip their power, especially if they're in Republican-controlled states, and hand that power from you, the voter, to the attorney general of the state or the legislature who are Republicans on top of all of that. I'll be right back. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. 
we're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us, and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. So let me just do a little bit more of a dive into what's going on here. Obviously, it's an anti-black attack. It's an anti-black woman attack. By Republicans, by white officials, by these conservatives and some of these conservative Democrats. But really, mostly, really predominantly and overwhelmingly, it's right-wingers, these racist, these fascist and racist people, these Republicans, are now doing this not just with black prosecutors, but with anyone, black, white, brown, or otherwise, who looks to try to change what's wrong with this system. Here's an article from Akela Lacey. Akela Lacey, A-K-E-L-A, last name L-A-C-Y, from The Intercept, from March 3rd, 2023. The headline, 17 states have now tried to pass bills that strip powers from reform-minded prosecutors. And these states are Republican-led states. In recent years, the subtitle says, just under 40 bills, 4-0 bills, have been introduced in various state legislatures that give local prosecutorial powers to state-level officials. Now, by the way, Remember what I told you uh, about a month or two ago about what's going on still uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, where you now have voters not being able to vote for their local officials that they voted in because now the power has been stripped away from those local officials and being kept in the hands of Republicans in Mississippi on the state level who are now putting in, implementing in people of their own choosing, appointing them. So now what you have going on in Jackson, Mississippi, an 85% black town is white control, apartheid control, white minority control, literally, of a predominantly black city in the United States of America in 2023. Because now you have white state officials, Republican officials in the state of Mississippi who have now replaced these local officials that the black community in Jackson were voting for and now replaced them with people whom the white state officials have appointed there. People that the black community did not vote in. That's going on now in a number of different cities and, and states and now, this article I'm about to read a portion of from The Intercept, Akela Lacey, is talking about how this is now being done with prosecutors. Oh, we don't like the fact that you want to tamper with the system and change it and make it a more equitable and just system. We don't like the fact that you're doing that because we want to keep things the way they are. 
mass incarceration, recidivism rates through the roof. We want to keep it that way. Plus, we want to keep our jobs because we as, you know, white people who are in corrections and all that kind of stuff, we don't want to see our jobs disappear. And the way you're prosecuting right now, soon a lot of us in the correctional area, we won't even have a job anymore because you're doing such a good job with these sensible prosecutions that you're doing. And it makes us redundant. Really, that's the thinking, dear listener. Let me read you part of this article as I promised to. This is from The Intercept, dated March 3rd, as I said, of this year. Arkela Lacey. 17 states have now tried to pass bills that strip powers from reform-minded prosecutors. The article starts, In recent years, a movement to elect reform-minded prosecutors across the country has won hard-fought victories across a handful of large cities. Now, a growing black... A ba- <laughs> Backlash, backlash. A growing backlash is taking on a new form. At least nine bills introduced this year across five states would strip power from democratically elected prosecutors. In many of the cases, more conservative legislatures are taking away power from local prosecutors in strongly liberal and democratic cities and putting them in the hands of Republicans holding statewide offices. Since the mid-2010s, dozens of cities across the country have elected prosecutors who enacted criminal justice reforms. Several have faced recall battles or other attempts to remove them from office. While at least one of the recall bids has succeeded, and that's the one that I just mentioned, Chesa Boudin here in San Francisco, the efforts have largely failed. The recall efforts by these right-wingers, these Republicans, have largely failed. Facing losses at the ballot box, Republicans and police unions, I talked about them a few minutes ago, Pushing a return to the tough-on-crime policies are instead turning to state legislatures to advance their aims. Those committed to ensuring that only poor black people get prosecuted and that police officers who cause harm go free are lashing out, trying to undermine the will of the voters by removing people who won't go along with the old, out-of-touch criminal legal system, said Jessica Brand a progressive strategist who advises reformist prosecutors around the country. This is a nationwide assault on democracy. And that is what my point is, dear listener. That's Jessica Brand there with that quote from the article I just read you part of in The Intercept from Arkela Lacey, dated March the 3rd, 2023. That's the point I'm making. This is an assault on democracy, a.k.a. this is fascism. All of the people I mentioned were duly elected, including Larry Krasner, a white progressive DA in Philadelphia. They've tried to, they've impeached him, by the way. They impeached him last November. The Pennsylvania House, which is controlled by Republicans, impeached him. At least back then it was controlled by Republicans. I think right now it's no longer controlled by Republicans because of, uh, anyway, I don't remember. I thought that the, the House had recently been taken over by the Democrats and that there had been a black female speaker of the house. If I'm not mistaken, I know I think I'm right. I will double check that for you, dear listener, in a few moments. But this is what happened. Larry Krasner in 2022 was actually impeached, 
which means now he has to stand trial in the Pennsylvania Senate. And if the Senate find him guilty, he could be possibly stripped of his DA's title. Larry Krasner, like some of these other prosecutors I've mentioned, was re-elected to office. Re-elected. He won his race in 2017, and he won again in 2021. And now, all of these movements to strip him of his power, all of these moves to strip all of these black women who are prosecutors of their power, forcing some of them out. Kim Garner resigned. Let me tell you about Kim Garner's resignation. She's the St. Louis Circuit County uh, attorney who now is going to be, is going to be re- uh, leaving the office in June, June 1st. Here's another article from The Intercept, which is written... I think also by Arkela Lacey, and indeed it is. Arkela Lacey, May the 6th. That's just what? Just yesterday. And here's the title. Why St. Louis's reform DA, Kim Gardner, quit. Quote, I don't think, and this is the subtitle, I don't think we've spoken enough about what black women have had to endure here, end quote, said Chicago prosecutor Kim Fox, a Gardner ally. Let me read you part of this. Quote, this is really about overriding the will of the voters and not allowing communities to make their own choices. Kim Gardner was elected twice by her community, said Habrig and Habig. And Habig um, would be a person by the name, and I'm trying to find the name here, um, of the person they were interviewing here in this article. Um, but anyway, uh, Jill Habig, the founder and president of Public Rights Project, a civil rights nonprofit that has tracked the growing number of these preemption bills. And these are the bills that are trying to preempt and stop prosecutors from utilizing their power. And these Republicans in these state legislatures all over the country are doing this in democratic cities. They're not doing this in Republican cities. They're not doing this when there's been horrible prosecutorial misconduct, whether there are people not being uh, indicted for killing people. We've seen how many black people who get killed ever get justice. Are you kidding? And none of these Republican states, particularly, but all these states, rarely do they ever indict the people who do this, especially if they're cops. Do they ever indict them? Rarely. Rarely. You don't see anybody trying to recall them and throw up a preemption bill against them. It's only the black prosecutors and some other and some white progressives. Thursday's announcement, that's Gardner resigning last Thursday, announcing it, that she will resign, makes Gardner the fourth reform prosecutor elected in recent years to leave office following former Florida State Attorney Aramis Ayala, who I mentioned earlier, who faced attacks from then Republican Governor Rick Scott over her refusal to seek the death penalty in a case. Former San Francisco DA Chesa Boudin, who I've mentioned as well, who was recalled last year, and Kim Fox prosecutor in Cook County, Illinois. I've mentioned Kim Fox as well, which includes Chicago, who announced last month she would not run for re-election. I go into skipping, I'm skipping around this article. Many of these prosecutors 
said Habig, and that would be Jill Habig, who I mentioned earlier, have been elected time and time again by their own voters. And instead of respecting the will of the voters because of this extreme resistance we're seeing from reactionary legislatures, that would be Republicans, folks, and others, we see prosecutors either leaving of their own accord, being removed, or having their power threatened. Let me tell you, this is the fascism that's going on all across this country. That's what's going on. Republicans are running roughshod over everything. And they are behaving like the very fascists that they are. Dictators, autocrats, totalitarian. Well, you don't want to go along with what I say? You have to prosecute that person who drives the person to the abortion clinic. And if you're not going to do that, I'm going to strip your power from you. That's what Ron DeFascist basically said to Andrew Warren last summer. It's fascist. You can't just strip his power from him. The voters get to determine that. The voters duly elected him twice. But that's not good enough for Ron DeFascist, you see. Now back to the article. Here's what Kim Gardner did. And this is why, one of the reasons why, these Republicans hate Kim Gardner. Criticisms of Kim Gardner in local media focused on Gardner's handling, staff mismanagement, and office administration. Her prosecution of high-profile Republicans invited more controversy. In early 2018, about a year after taking office, she prosecuted former Republican Missouri Governor Eric Greitens, who was in office at the time. She indicted the infamous white couple, I use the word white, that pointed guns at people protesting. Remember that? Police brutality in July 2020. You remember that? That husband, those, and one of them tried to run for office or did run for office. Failed as far as I remember. The latter incident prompted Missouri's far-right Republican Senator Josh Hawley called on the Justice uh, Department to investigate her. Gardner had also come under attack from Republican Missouri Attorney General Darren Bailey, who filed suit in February to remove her from office. Bailey issued a statement Thursday calling on Gardner to leave office before June the 1st. Gardner would acknowledge that she didn't do things perfectly, said Miriam Krinsky, Executive Director of Fair and Just Prosecution, which advocates for sensible prosecution. Still, Gardner and other reform prosecutors, specifically black women, have faced a level of scrutiny over cases and administrative issues that was not applied to prosecutors pushing tough on crime policies. And there you have it. As I said earlier, Brooke Jenkins in San Francisco, she pushed this tough on crime garbage that doesn't ever work. Tough on crime never has worked. It's not worked in cities. It's not worked in rural areas. It's never worked. Because your so-called tough on crime only, only accelerates repeat offenders and recidivism and always emphasizes let's throw away the key rather than emphasizing life-affirming alternatives for people who commit nonviolent crime. But, I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And all the lies that get told and the sound bites and the recalls and San Francisco is not this, again, this progressive city anymore. It's not. 
Because the fact that you'd have people actually vote to recall a prosecutor who was actually trying to change the way things are done is an indication that the city is not this so-called liberal bastion anymore. It's not. It's a bastion for the corporates, for the dot-commers, for the elites. That's what San Francisco is now. So these articles from The Intercept by Akela Lacey are really important. I'm going to put them in the newsletter that comes up, I think, tomorrow, if not earlier than that. And it really does offer you a glimpse. I mean, these are some very draconian things that these Republicans are doing. And you see this, and it's all predicated on stopping black prosecutors. It's also on a larger level, or just as larger level, dead, you know, targeted at people who want to stop this system from doing the injurious things it's doing. That's what it's about. And it's also about power and control, more so than anything. And these Republicans want to keep power and they want to keep the system the way it is. And they know that a changing system would render, would render them irrelevant, basically. I mean, you've got to think about this. These black prosecutors are under tremendous pressure. They really are. And Kim Gardner was a very and is a very tough-minded person. And I like that about her. You know, she's forward-thinking. She's independent. She's unbought and unbossed like Shirley Chisholm 50 years before her. And Kim Gardner was resolute to the very end. But she must have got so much heat that she decided to resign. And that's what she's going to do on June 1st. But these prosecutors are all trying to make a difference. That's what they're trying to do. That's really what's happening here. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. So, I got to tell you, these laws are, these laws are very sweeping. And if you look at what's going on also in Texas right now, the uh, there's a bill out that I think these uh, the Texas House or Texas Senate passed that would give the authority of the Secretary of State to formally overturn election results in one county in Texas and one county only, not the whole state, but in one county, the biggest county in the state of Texas, but only that county guess who populates that county predominantly if you said black you'd be absolutely right if you said brown you'd be absolutely right harris county is the place and this bill is targeted only at that one county not at the whole state and this is from the state legislature that's doing this not, they're not even hiding their racism. And the question is, are we going to allow this legislature or any one of these Republican legislatures to get away with this? Are we? I think it's very clear that we have to say no 
and that we have to vote them out. And I think the only way this is all going to change is if we just vote these people out, wherever they are in the country, vote them out. It's very obvious what they're doing. Very obvious. And when you, in a recall effort, have 370 signatures of dead people, you're up to no good. You're up to no good. At some point, dear listener, I'm going to play you, not today, but I really do want to play you. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after that. It depends. The full 40-minute speech of Kim Fox. You heard a glimpse of it when I played that audio earlier. But I do want to give that um, whole speech a hearing. And I really would like you to listen to it. It's a really good speech. And I will probably do that tomorrow or Tuesday. It just depends right now. Uh, this speech that Kim Fox, the outgoing state's attorney for Cook County, Illinois, gave last month is one you must listen to. I really do believe that you must listen to this. These prosecutors are trying to get the job done. And again, this is all about an anti-black attack, the attack on black. Same thing that's going on with these police. You know, I'll tell you about these police as well. The police union in St. Louis, the the uh, SLPOA, which is one of the most racist uh, police unions there is in this country. When Bob McCulloch, the, you know, the white male uh, DA who refused to indict Darren Wilson for killing, murdering, executing Michael Brown. When he was beaten by a black candidate in the primary in 2018, and that black candidate went on to win, I think his name was Wesley Bell, went on to win the uh, uh, St. Louis DA's position. All of the people in Wesley Bell's office, all the prosecutors, maybe mostly the white ones, immediately joined the SLPOA, the racist union. Why would you all of a sudden join a freaking union? You hadn't joined one when Bob McCulloch was the DA in St. Louis for nearly 30 years. But all of a sudden now when the black DA comes in, oh, you're joining this racist police union. What are you doing that for? Oh, I wonder what you're doing that for. This is the racism. This is the racism that keeps going in this country. The anti-black systemic racism. No excuse for, what are you joining a police union for? There's a million unions to join. There's the SEIU, there's the ACLU. I mean, there's so many unions, right? There's a million unions. No, they're not going to join the ACLU. But the SEIU... Right? Why aren't they joining them? Why aren't they joining a police union? They're that St. Louis police union. All these police unions are racist as anything. And again, this is the attack on this is the attack on black prosecutors and black mayors too. Again, if they don't like the job you're doing as a black mayor, they will go on and on and on. 
But, you know, as long as you're someone who claims you're tough on crime, you won't get anybody opposing you. But if you're someone who dares to do the right thing, that's when you get these racist people coming in and going, oh, no, no. That's what you get. I mean, Lamar Thorpe, case in point. Lamar Thorpe, the black mayor in Antioch, California here. Antioch is in, um, I believe it's Alameda County as well. Same area that Pamela Price is in, right? In uh, Alameda here, uh, about 14 miles away from here. And Antioch, which is more like 45 miles east of here, as opposed to Oakland, it's 13 to 14. Antioch, right? And I told you about this a few weeks ago on this podcast, dear listener, is a police department, has a police department that is racist. And all these officers, you know, half the force sent out all these racist text messages. And some of them included death threats to the black mayor, Lamar Thorpe. And all of these racist attacks. So where black public officials are trying to serve the public who voted them in, and again, Lamar Thorpe, the the mayor of Antioch was duly elected. Whenever this happened, now they're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to intimidate him out of there. You know? It's just disgusting. This is the fascism that these Republicans are engaging in. It's so clear and obvious. And instead of giving us these news reports about, well, you know, Pamela Price would admit that she's... Uh, you know, cause backlash. What a weird thing to, to characterize her as. She didn't cause the the backlash. It's the racism and the anti-black racism and the misogynoir that is at the heart of this backlash. It's not anything that Pamela Price is doing. And then all of this stuff is so artificial. Oh, well, she didn't have a meeting with us. Oh, well, this prosecutor is leaving her office. Oh, big whoop. People leave their jobs every day. Oh, God. I mean, oh, like that's a big freaking crime. Ooh. Oh, people aren't in her office anymore. Ooh. Oh, my God. There's a high turnover rate. Well, that's, that doesn't necessarily because of the freaking prosecutor. There are people administratively who deal with all that. She's not necessarily there day to day watching over every freaking move. I mean, come on. But when you don't properly educate your viewers or educate the public at large, people just swallow whatever they're told. They don't think critically. We have so many people in this country who don't think critically at all. They just swallow the first thing they hear. They'll swallow up some gossip that someone whispers in their ear. And they don't think twice about, well, maybe is that true or is it not true? Maybe this person's not telling me the truth. They just take it on board and go, oh, okay, that's the truth. Don't research it. Don't think about it. Don't do any critical thinking. And there's so many people in this country like that who just take some gossip about someone and run with it and don't think, well, maybe this might not be true. It's just disgusting, really. So Kim Gardner was prosecuting Republicans and some Republicans didn't like it. As if to say, well, you shouldn't be prosecuting us when we commit crimes. We're supposed to commit crime whenever we want. Man, that's the madness of it all. Sickness. The inhumanity of these people is just disgusting. And I'm telling you, these black prosecutors and also white progressives like Larry Krasner in 
Philadelphia are the last line of defense between us and complete anarchy and tyranny because these Republicans are going hell-bent, violating every law, being the fascists that they are. They're not hiding it anymore. They're not hiding it. And the question becomes, what are you and I going to do about it? Well, one of the things we've got to do is vote. And another thing we've got to do is educate people who don't know how or who want to stay on the sidelines. We've had enough in the last 24 hours alone to tell you why you shouldn't be sitting on the sidelines. Surely, surely, this also is a reason for us to be voting every time we can when there are elections in our city or town. I regard Kim Gardner, Aramis Ayala, Kim Fox, Fonnie Wells, Marilyn Mosby, Monique Rorel, Pamela Price as heroes. Tish James is a hero. All these people. And also I'd add to that Chesa Boudin and Larry Krasner, Alvin Bragg, George Gascon in LA and Andrew Warren and the mayor of Antioch, Lamar Thorpe. All heroes, heroes. They're standing up to these fascist Republicans who are bullies and racists and misogynoirists. That's what these people are doing. That's what they're doing. We must vote in every election, every one, and we've got to start building the relationships with these people who are in our towns, who may be politicians or any kind of other public official. We've got to. We've got to do it. It's so very important. There's no further callers in the queue. And that was yours truly just last week. Making a public comment before the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Well, really, it was the San Francisco Ethics Commission. The San Francisco Ethics Commission. And if you are in a city or state in the United States listening to me right now, you can get involved in your own city as well. Find out who your state legislators are. Find out who your local politicians are, even more so, as I just said there in the clip I just played of myself, yours truly, testifying or making my public comment last week. Don't be afraid to get involved. Don't be afraid to vote. You have to educate people. We all do. And again, I'm going to be doing some more of this. I've been doing this, I've been doing this for a number of years now with uh, getting you oriented to voting. And I'm going to talk more about this as we go on here in 2023. I'm not going to wait until 2024 to do this so that you are fully prepared to do what is necessary. First of all, we have to get these Republicans out of office. They are too dangerous. They've gone way too far. And 
The lies continue on to the detriment of so many people. They have to be ousted from office. It's that simple. No excuse. No sitting on the sidelines. No excuses. You've got to vote. And I'll be talking about the importance of voting, how to vote, all those things coming up over the next few days and weeks in 2023. Get involved. Go online if you've got an online account or if you've just got an online uh, feed, if you've got online service, internet service. Please go online and find out who your local officials are, who, what your city legislature looks like, what your, you know, what your town clerk, who your town clerk is. If there are meetings of the board of supervisors or whomever it might be, and because they call them different things in different cities, whoever it is in your city, find out if they do meetings, if they're online meetings as the ones in San Francisco are. I'm sure there are. Type in your town, find out what the meetings are, find out the official website for your town, for your local officials, your politicians, and get involved. Get involved, please. It's very important. And make sure you vote in prosecutors who want to change things for the better for everyone and vote out prosecutors who puff out their chest and tell you that they're tough on crime when they're not tough on crime. Because the same person that gets processed through that criminal injustice system comes out of it years later and continues to repeat and be a repeat offender. That's not being tough on crime. That's maintaining a system of crime. And that is why we need to vote these people out of office. And we need to be recalling people like Brooke Jenkins here in San Francisco. She's a disaster. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter, won't you, dear listener? At the popcorn, R-E-E-L. Follow along on Spoutable, S-P-O-U-T-I-B-L-E dot com forward slash popcorn R-E-E-L. Of course, there's the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store, the-politocrat.myshopify.com. And of course, there's this podcast. Like the podcast, well, subscribe to the podcast, I should say. Share it, download it, please. Spread the word to your friends and family. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.